Welcome to the Elite Level Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Elaine, and this is the podcast where we explore how elite level performers think, act, and operate. No matter where you're tuning in from, if you're tuning in on YouTube and there's any point of value that you get from today, please be sure to smash that like button. And if you're listening in on any of the podcast platforms, a five-star review would be very much appreciated. Now, today, we've got another fantastic guest, Freddie. It's great to see you. How are you? Great to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well, doing very well. Very excited to to be speaking with you today. Awesome. Now, as I say, it's fantastic to have you. And we'll talk a little bit about how we got to originally meet. But before we do that, it'd be great if you could tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and some of your career highlights. Sure. So my name is Freddie. I'm 26 years old. A bit about my background. I am one of four boys. So I've got three brothers. I was number three of four. So it means that I'm always trying to be a bit different. You know, I always um, wanted to, to get that voice heard. Very, very competitive. Me and my brothers always compete over who's better at football, you know, who's better at golf, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I always wanted to be different. And I always translated that into sales. You know, my dad was a lawyer. Uh, he's worked at the same company for 35 years. And I wanted to take a different path to that. So I I'm really excited to be in sales. It's an amazing industry for me. I love the fact that I can directly contribute to revenue, especially at a very early age. You know, you come out of university or even, you know, without university and suddenly you are directly impacting revenue, which is just awesome. So that's a bit about me. Now I'm working for a company called CreativeX. I am an AE there. CreativeX is a company that helps marketers improve the quality of their content at scale, typically working with really big companies like your Mars, your Pepsis, your Heinekens of the world. So it's a really complex enterprise sale. And we're creating a new category, which is really exciting. Again, that's probably why I wanted to be different. I like the idea of going into a company and trying to kind of be heard, you know, create that space, create that category. And um, yeah, really enjoying it at the moment. That's awesome. It's a, it's a great story. And I love how succinct your pitch was. It's almost made me want to buy or find out a little bit more, which is awesome. So Freddie, before we talk a little bit about your career, your elevation, and maybe get a bit more specific around, especially your time as an SDR and transition to an AE, at least if LinkedIn's accurate, I could see you spent a little bit of time with Parliament before you actually moved into your sales career. So just help me understand a little bit more about that time and that moment where you felt actually sales is for me. Yeah, it is an interesting one. So I, I did politics at university. That was quite good for my sales skills, actually. Like the idea of actually being able to write in a very effective way was, was good. So a lot of reading. And when you're in sales, you try and make a lot of connections, you know, between reading an annual report of a company or seeing their objectives and trying to connect that to our value proposition. So at university, did politics. I think throughout that time, I was thinking about getting into politics and I went and did um, two stints in Parliament working for an MP as a researcher. And that role was around, you know, picking up the phone, speaking to constituents. It wasn't selling anything, but it was around trying to answer their sort of questions, deal with their housing issues, deal with problems they had. So again, really good experience before going into sales to try and be that kind of consultant to the constituents I offered. And other than that as well, I think a lot of it was about writing. So I actually wrote on behalf of my MP. So he would actually sign the letters that I was writing. I think that's quite common. I hate to say it because I think when people get a letter from their MP, they think it's, you know, from the MP himself. Um, but did that and I really, really enjoyed the time there, but it was just too slow paced. I was working in um, in the summers and they had a recess period as well where they sort of not have too much work on. And I wanted something a bit more exciting. I like the idea of controlling my own income. I like the idea of being fully responsible for that. And I think Parliament for me just wasn't wasn't the the right thing for me to to pursue a career in. Wow. 
It's a fascinating story to, to think you've gone from that type of role and now you've exposed all the MPs out there. So yeah. <laughs> some people might yeah. be coming for you. So what I'm really curious to understand is you said your dad was a lawyer mm. and then you're here seeing all of this first and enthusiasm for a sales career. You've spoken a lot about the income side of it, but how did you even know about sales as a thing? What, you know, How did you get from this point to actually finding the right company? I think you had a, a fairly short stint at your initial role. So just walk us through, first of all, how you found the right opportunity and then what that first six months was like. Yeah, so I actually came out of university and I, I did politics, of course, and I did parliament and I, I experienced all of that. And I I did feel that sales might be for me, but I wanted to take a break and just really figure out what I wanted to do. So I went to France for six months. I was a driver on a ski season, so I was actually just helping guests. But what's funny is that on Sundays, it's when you have changeover days. So this is when guests come to the resort and they leave the resort. And this is a day where drivers would actually be um, responsible for big coaches full of about 60 or 70 people. And I would actually love that day because I would be selling ski pass, obviously not too difficult if they're going skiing, um, but selling ski high and actually just having those conversations with guests. And after that six months, I knew that sales was, was the career path for me. And then I got back to London. I got a message on LinkedIn from a guy called George Bryant. I'll give him a shout out, who, who just said, you know, even in a LinkedIn post, how would you like to make 45K OT in your first year? And I was thinking to myself, you know, I'll just be making 120 euros a week. Now 45K in my first year, this sounds pretty amazing. So I had a message with him uh, or had a message exchange with him, ended up having an assessment day with a recruitment company, found a really great role at Conversica, which is a company that provides almost AI-powered SDRs. And again, very new category, new space. I was the only SDR there and it was a really amazing experience. A lot of, um, a lot of learning by failing, to be honest. Um, that first six months, you know, it was a place where I didn't have an SDR manager or even other, another SDR with me. But I just realized over time that you can't just continuously plan. You know, it's so interesting because when I first got into this role, planning was fun. You know, you go into a sales role and you want to um, learn loads of different techniques, different trainings. You want to use outreach in the right way. You want to think about what, what accounts am I going to go after? You know, what content am I going to use? What research am I doing on each prospect? And the first couple of months, I realized I was planning most of my day and wasn't actually getting anything done. So, you know, any SDRs out there that are, are joining a company, make sure that you always try and execute, you know, plan at the beginning of the week. It's always great to do that and leverage, you know, leverage external salespeople, external teachings. But when you get to it, at the end of the day, if you want to hit your number, you have to execute and consistency is really important. So at Conversicry, I did pretty well. There were areas where I think I could have got more business in. And that probably was because, you know, those leads or those prospects, if they had got that sixth, seventh or even tenth touch point from me, they might be clients of Conversica. But I always wanted to learn new things and I always try to change my techniques based on external people. So you know, a big tip is to try and make sure that you are really engaging with um, that consistent and persistent process. I love what you just shared there, Freddie, because it, it takes me a lot back when I think of my very first role as a BDR as well. Uh, certainly some nerves and, and, and mm. dove into it head first, right, with a ton of energy, a lot of enthusiasm and, and made a lot of mistakes along the way. Probably wasn't planning out my days or weeks very much, but just went at it like a train. And I think there's something to be said in actually just diving in head first sometimes and putting yourself in a position where you embrace some of those failures, some of those setbacks, and actually the fact that maybe... Just 
just embracing the fact that you don't know it all at that stage. And what's great about your story is you can now look back and say, maybe I should have planned a little bit more. Maybe I should have done those extra touch points that I wasn't doing. But the reality is, is that you can tell someone early in their career to do all those things. But in many cases, you've got to go and experience it for yourself, get some of the uh, the plasters over the wounds, and then you come out the other end being much more effective as you move forward. For sure. I think, you know, if you want to progress and become an AE, you've got to fail. You've got to consistently fail. You know, get out there, keep making those mistakes. I mean, what's funny is I would go through my LinkedIn voice notes. I did it actually the other day, back when I first started. And some of them, you know, I'm going to be completely honest. I was just starting out in sales. They were very pitch heavy. You know, they explained a lot of the features of the product. I wasn't really like, you know, I wasn't really acknowledging much about the companies I was going after. And you know what? It booked meetings because there's a couple of things here. Firstly, you could be providing a voice note or, a, or an email or a phone call at a time where that company has a real pain they need to solve. And if you get too in your own head about trying to be perfect at that stage, you're going to miss out on an opportunity. So that was a huge thing for me. And the second thing as well was, you know, you may also be giving yourself a bit of discredit because you might be better than you think you are. And a prospect might actually really think that what you sent them is a really good, valuable bit of information that you yourself might not have appreciated at the time. So, you know, I always think go out there and fail as much as you can. And that's how you progress and how you become a better salesperson a lot faster as well. People can't say they're not getting a ton of value already. So this this is really exciting, Freddie. Keen to peel back the layers a bit more here. So let's fast forward to your most recent SDR role at Believe Creative X, where you spent some time as an SDR, clearly had some great success. And then eventually you actually reached out to me. And I'd love for you to tell the story of where you got from being an SDR, getting to the team lead point, and then mm. what actually prompted you to reach out to me at that time? Sure. So I, I joined CreativeX back in August 2020. COVID hit Kaverska very hard in, in, the, in the European region. So I, I ended up joining CreativeX. The whole office uh, in, in London was made redundant in Kaverska. So CreativeX was a, was a great opportunity for me. It was a very small company at the time. It was a, a team of 19 in total. As I said, it was a very complex enterprise sale. And I was one of two SDRs at that point, and we worked really well to essentially define the whole SDR process. I had really full autonomy over this with a lot of support from marketing and from other leaders in the team. But it was really exciting. We had the idea or the opportunity to create our own structure, our our own process and optimization. We used to A-B test a lot. And luckily, I was able to to get some really good results there. What's funny, actually, uh, talking about the voice notes before, you know, Campari is a, is a huge alcohol brand. I, I got Campari signed up for 110K, which started from a voice note. And again, you know, that voice note, if I look back at it now, you know, I, I, I'm a lot better than I am back then. But, you know, we signed a huge client based on that kind of uh, interaction, based on me going out there. So I worked at CreativeX for six months in SDR. I realized that we were hiring a few more people, a few more SDRs, and I was the most experienced and probably getting the best results there. So I just reached out to my VP and said, hey, look, I want to be the SDR manager here. I want to be the SDR team lead. I want to be a player coach, which I think I had the ability to do. So I created the role for myself. I went after it. I interviewed for it. And I was able to define the process. So what was really exciting was after becoming that player coach, I was able to help onboard new SDRs, teach them the process, go through different modules and stages. I can talk about learning in a second. But that was a really, really good experience for me. Got some great meetings. You know, we, we work with very, very big companies. So, you know, the feeling of being able to help other people as well, book a meeting with McDonald's or with a CMO of Nestle was, was really great. 
and then kept doing that SDR team lead role for around six to eight months. And there was an AE opportunity available. Again, we didn't actually have an AE at CreativeX. We had sales directors, but I wanted to create this role for myself. My VP was fantastic at giving me the right criteria of what I needed to achieve to get to that position. So I worked really hard to make sure the SDRs were hitting their number. You know, I was working to hit my number as well. And then I was also training to become an AE. So you know, he was really great at allowing me to have that opportunity to start doing discovery calls, learn by failing. And yeah, luckily in December, he said, Freddie, you know, you're going to be the first day at CreativeX. So very excited and enjoying my time at the moment there. Well, first and foremost, massive congratulations. And what I love about you and your story the most, Freddie, is that you're a doer. And I think the biggest thing for people to take away from this up until this point is just the sheer principle of taking action. And again, when I look at a lot of people that have reached elite status or, or greatness in whatever they do, they have that same attitude, right? They go out, they mitigate any excuses and they simply just go out there and take action because the easiest thing in the world to do is to make excuses, to say that a job vacancy isn't there, yeah. to actually say that there isn't a path there for me. Well, what did Freddie do? He went out and created all of these things. You went and sought to understand what is it going to take to give me this opportunity? What do I need to do to have this platform? And your leadership trusted and believed in you as a result. So there's there's phenomenal things to take out of all of that. And thank you for being so transparent and sharing it. One thing I want to get your perspective on is when you were leading that SDR team is what that experience was like, because at the time that was very different for you, right? Going and leading people, people looking to you in a more aspirational fashion. So tell us what went really well during that experience and equally tell us what was quite challenging or maybe unexpected. Yeah, so it was a uh, it was a role that obviously I hadn't done in the past and managing people was something I haven't done. I I think at the beginning, it was difficult to sort of prioritize what's more important, helping the team or helping your own number. You know, at the beginning, it was one of those situations where I had to be really conscious with my time. I had to start to decline internal meetings based on me needing to hit the right touch points, and the right activity numbers to, to hit my own number. So that was a, a real challenge. I think what I was able to do, though, was able to give the SDRs a really thorough process. We had a 30, a 60, a 90 day onboarding plan. The modules were very interactive, so I made sure that the SDRs actually had the ability to make commission whilst they're going through this training program. So we'd work together to create sequences, to create structures in place where they were actually reaching out to prospects because you know, at the end of the day, the, the great thing about being an SDR is you can make those mistakes. You know, It's not as if you are dealing with a deal that is about to potentially go bust or, or, or open. So you know, we were able to make those mistakes. It was really great to give them that trust, and I believed in them from the idea that you know, in the interview process, they showed a lot of strength. So... Going back to the, the challenges I had, I think trying to ensure that I was conscious of my time, trying to ensure that I was hitting my own number and also making sure that the SDRs um, were able to feel like value, were able to feel like they're being managed in the right way because a lot of these SDRs, well, all of our SDRs come from university or come from not really having a full job in the first place. So again, it can be quite daunting. I know from my time at Conversica, you know, how daunting it can be. But focusing on those modules, making sure they have the right learning in place is really important. And I want to talk about that just quickly. I think... A lot of SDRs and, and me, when you get into a position where you are trying to learn as much information as possible, you actually need to take a step back and learn how to learn. So by that, I mean giving yourself confidence that what you're going to take in is actually going to lead to results, knowing the right pathway in place to take on that information from an external sales leader, from product, from different value propositions in the company. And I think confidence is a really crucial thing. If you are stressed 
or you feel like you haven't got, or you feel like you've got like a, 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 a sort of deadline in place, or you feel like you're worried about something, you don't take in any information and it's really difficult. So having the confidence in place to learn that information, having the self-management skills to time block your calendar and then going out and then learning. So I think you need to set up the right guidelines in place to learn. And I found that the hard way. I think when I first started, it was a really difficult process where, you know, there was so much information to consume and I wanted to just go straight at it. And actually having those guidelines in place has really helped me. And it's, it's, a, it's a been a huge, huge benefit for me uh, in my sales career. It's a great tell. And, and I love that statement about confidence. Uh, again, it's something that I talk a lot to. Uh, my, my wallpaper actually on my phone and anyone who's been on a Zoom call with me will see I've got a, a great picture of Muhammad Ali behind me. And the reason why is because I say no one else exudes self-confidence and self-belief more than that man there. And what you need to have certainly as you continue to rise through your career is that real true belief in who you are, what you stand for, but also your product, your solution, your service and your offering, mm -hmm. right? Because if that doesn't start and stop with you, it's very difficult to convey that when you're trying to talk to customers, get the belief and trust of your team as you had to before. If you don't even have it in yourself, how are you going to be able to convince others of the same thing? So I love the emphasis that you put on that. I want to very slightly kind of fast forward a little bit just to ask you about your own experience as an SDR and also as a manager, what your observations were of the, the real top performers versus the, the average, right? We, this is the elite level podcast. It's really about trying to understand what are those separation factors. So when you observe either yourself when your performance was at its best or your team members, what was it that separated those from the people that sat on cruise control? Great, great um, points. I think that the three things I'd say are curiosity, hunger, and I think just self-awareness as well. So with curiosity, I think having the, the ability to actually try and learn as much as you can, be naturally curious, you know, ask questions and really try and find out exactly how you could effectively sell your solution. I think for me, when I was at my best, I was going out and reaching out to people like you, reaching out to other sales leaders and trying to get as much information as possible, but never make, never do that at the expense of consistency and persistence. As I said, make sure that you don't start utilizing different learnings and ideas when you're halfway through a sequence. So making sure you're really persistent, but you're also able to leverage different learnings. I think with the second point is, is really around trying to just have that real persistence. You know, I'm lucky enough to really enjoy sales. I'm very enthusiastic about it. And I think if you're in USDR, you know, it's a really great position because a lot of salespeople, I feel, they almost become veterans and they almost lose that enthusiasm and excitement. I think as an SDR and you're, you know, you're just new to the role, you actually can deliver a lot of great results because you have that enthusiasm that really, you know, feeds off people. So that's another thing which I think is really important. You can't teach, as you say often, that real need to be the best you want to be. I think, you know, there's a vicious cycle involved. So if you have a, a day at work that you're not performing well in or you're not fully concentrating in, then you end up, you know, feeling a bit anxious about um, your number and you start actually sleeping badly and then you wake up tired and then you struggle to actually get the next day and the next work done. So I think making sure that in that sort of nine to six period, you are absolutely maximizing results is really important. And then the third is just being self-aware. You know, I, I think it's one of my skills is I'm able to understand where I'm making mistakes, understand areas that I need to improve. I'm an ideas guy. I love to come up with new ideas to improve the sales process. I'm always trying to learn, but I haven't had that sort of natural analytical skill. And I think what I'm doing at the moment is I'm asking for feedback. I'm speaking to other colleagues who are very data-driven and actually asking, how do I best make my SDR process a very data-driven one? And now 
I've got a process in place where I'm able to see, you know, what volume of touch points it takes to book a meeting. How often should I be sending emails? How often should I be going on the phone? So I think, you know, understand and, and be aware of your weaknesses and your strengths and utilize them. Sure. All fantastic points. I'd, I'd love to just spend a little bit of time on that message that you sent to me, Freddie, because as it's probably not a surprise, I, I get a fair few requests either to jump on calls or, or meet. And I wish I could extend myself a little bit further than I can sometimes. But something came through to me from your message and actually this persistence that you talk about, that you were really enthusiastic to meet up and you put yourself in a position where you were willing to travel. And I, I just sensed a, a real thirst and a desire to get better. And I felt that I've absolutely got to spend time with you to, to try and figure out if I can in some way contribute to that. But ultimately that all started and stopped with you. You had the awareness and the foresight to do that. So just for others out there, help us understand why did you do that? What did you feel was important when you made that outreach attempt to actually make sure that you could get the hook for the other person out there? Mm, I think what was really important to me was the idea of having a mentor outside of my company. I think you can get very bogged down into understanding you know, what is a good process within my company. And actually, when you start to look at external leaders, it's a really great idea of actually just broadening your skill set. So I actually, at the moment, I, I start to record vendor calls. So I had a call yesterday with a, with a salesperson who is trying to teach and provide masterclasses on cold calls. And I thought to myself, this is an hour-long discovery. If I record this, I'm going to get so much information from a person who specializes in this, in this field and specializes in sales. So I think with you, Alex, I was able to see a lot of your content from when I first started. And you offered the ability, and you said, I think, that you wanted the idea or you, or you benefited from having a mentor in the past. And I really wanted that myself. I think what was, was crucial about you is that you've worked incredibly hard to get to where you are. I think your background was was interesting to me and I wanted to get the same inspiration from from you. So I wanted to, to reach out and really glad I did because I think with, what, what some of the learnings were, with, I was able to get a lot more confidence. I think you were able to give me that confidence and it really helped me both leverage that promotion, but also just feel comfortable with, with how I was currently doing my sales process, how I was managing people. And I think for anyone out there, you know, it's really good to find an external person to, to help mentor you, especially someone who's involved in enterprise sales like you are. So I think you know, it, was, it was a fantastic opportunity for me and I'm glad I'm here now to, <laughs> to keep that relationship going. It was an absolute pleasure. And the, the thing that always struck me, I remember this from when I, I met you at the time, was everything that you're saying now, I can validate. You absolutely practice what you preach. You speak a lot about curiosity. And it had been a long time, I think, since I'd met someone as, as curious as you. You were asking questions all the way till we got back to the train station. And I remember a point, it was always like, Alex, one more question, one more question. But I thought that was great. And I remember at that point, I thought, this is really a superstar in the making because your thirst for, for learning, your true curiosity, your desire to continue to become better. These are all of the ingredients that when I look at all of the people that have set themselves apart, it really starts with those things. And people have heard me many a time talk about passion, drive, hunger, the, the things that you can't really teach in someone. Maybe you can ignite, but you can't fundamentally teach. You've really exuded all of those things. So anyone who's out there listening, when you go out there and you seek mentorship from someone, in principle, it's a great thing. But you've got to understand that as much as you can be taught a blueprint for success, you can be taught a process, you can be taught a hundred different things. If you aren't able to bring the other side of that equation to the, to the table, 
I'm not a miracle worker, right? Mentors out there aren't a miracle worker. And I'm sure now you yourself, Freddie, you can be seen as a mentor. You've been a leader. I'm sure you've got a, a phenomenal future ahead. I'm sure you'd agree with that point, right? When you look at your own team, they've got to be able to bring those intrinsic things and then you can help them maximize their potential on the other side. Definitely. I think it's 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 absolutely crucial. You know, you want to find a character within that sort of onboarding process that really has that hunger. And you, I think you can spot it pretty quickly. Being an SDR or being in sales, you can have all the skills in the world, but realistically, it is unfortunately a numbers game to a degree. You know, you have to make those attempts. We're in a, we're in a world now where, you know, there's more SDRs than ever. We have so much technology in place that it means that a lot of the prospects are getting 200, 300 emails a day. So how do you stand out? How do you have that rigorous persistence to actually become a better salesperson? And I think what I start to learn was when I talked about the 45K base salary or the 45K OT salary when I first wanted to get into sales, I've moved a bit off that now. You know, I think money is, of course, a, a big driver for me. I'm sure it is for, for most salespeople. But having that like intrinsic desire to get better is, is far more satisfying for me personally. You know, I think if you're able to have that, you want to learn, you want to get better. And actually, what's more important is that you're so concerned by your input rather than the output. And I think there are days where you are going to be struggling to book meetings. I'm sure that's happened to pretty much everyone. And if you're so controlled or you're so focused on your input, then it really helps develop more skills, um, fail more, learn. And I think overall you become a better salesperson as a result. So with my SDRs, that's something they, they naturally do. I've got a great team. I think we work really well together. My company is it fosters the idea of providing constructive dissent. So, you know, there are times where at the beginning of my sales career, I was a bit, I was a bit precious. You know, I didn't like the idea of people finding out what my weaknesses are. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm new to sales. I don't want anyone to know any areas I'm struggling in. And I think what I've learned now, especially through being at a company like CreativeX, is the idea of trying to be very honest with people, provide honest feedback. You know, I have a, a colleague in the States called Alyssa, who's a product marketing manager. And we have a bi-weekly check-in and she she said, Freddie, you know, you've got so many ideas, but you need to be more surgical with them. So having that ability to, to converse with people, give me that feedback, I think is really crucial to helping me develop as a salesperson. So I'm very, very grateful for that. Well, let's talk about you developing as a salesperson, because you've mentioned your, your promotion again. Congratulations on that. So you've been a, an, an AE for, you know, a couple of months now or in and around that time. So help us understand what that transition has been like, what differences you've had to make to your day, your operating rhythm and the way you think to really set yourself up for success now as an AE. Yeah. So my, my VP, Mark Harrison, he, he has provided a lot of uh, useful insights into how to, to be the best AE possible. And I think what he said was, look, Freddie, you know, when you are making that transition, and I'm sure you know everyone makes a similar transition, it's really important for you to actually have a lot of pipeline available because you will make the odd mistake. There will be deals that you are holding onto that end up failing. So as I have this experience as an SDR leader, and I don't have a current SDR working for me, it's all about me working really hard to get as much pipeline as possible. So that was a really big start, you know, making sure that I was booking a lot of meetings. And then I think with discoveries, what, what I found is that you can spend a lot of time practicing discoveries and making sure that you have the, the right questions to ask and making sure that you, you know, you've listened to external leaders and their, their sort of thought process about discovery and making sure that you implement medic, for example. But I think you've got to practice. You know, that's the most important thing because no discovery is the same. And there are times where I think I really benefited from just being able to practice it. And, you know, I had a good one the other day where 
you know, you're able to use learnings that you found online and you're able to use medic criteria, but actually being able to practice it first has been really beneficial. So, you know, just to go back to a conclusion here, I think, you know, my VP provided some great insights to, to make sure that you're giving yourself as many opportunities as possible, uh, making sure you're learning from those opportunities. Obviously, having those in the first place allows you to become better, but also just making sure that you are actually practicing rather than just trying to prepare. And I think that's really, really important when you become an AE. So really enjoying it. I think it's an interesting change because our deal cycles can take between, you know, five to, to eight months. It's a very long deal and the deal values are very high. There's a lot of stakeholders involved, often from very different regions. So it's one of those situations where I'm learning as much as I can. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to hopefully hit my number this year, but it's going to take a lot. Um, I'm very prepared to do it and I will make sure that by the end of the year, that number will be it. For what it counts for, I have no doubt. And you've now said on record that you're going to crush your number. So you've got no excuses when the time comes. A, a point that I just want to expand on a little bit here was you spoke a bit about what I classify as qualification criteria, such as medic. You spoke a little bit about sales processes and, and stages. And the real power in what you you touched on there was that now that premise of having a process and a framework and a qualification criteria has become very widespread in sales. The big difference is in the execution. It's in actually, do you go into your day and say, I need to follow medic or I need to follow spin or this process or whatever the case is, or do you go in and truly embody the importance, the value and the significance of that qualification framework and that process. And there's a huge difference between going through a tick box exercise and understanding the intrinsic value of each stage and how you actually go about implementing that within a deal cycle to make sure that you drive value. And I think about, let's say in medic, one of the, the C's being a champion, right? I can go into a room and ask someone to define a champion and how do you build and test one? And I'll likely get 10 different answers. And the magic is when you can walk into a team or a room and you can ask that same question and everyone is able to deliver a unified view of what a champion is, how you define one, how you build one and how you test one. And so I love the, the principle that you spoke about. Big difference between a tick box way of ingesting something and actually going out, embodying it and really making sure that you drive it forward within a cycle. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, use your natural character that you have because if you go for a tick box exercise, you become very robotic. You won't listen. You know, I think what I understood from, especially um, Chris Voss, Never Split the Difference, is that you know, it's very easy for someone when you're hearing or you're trying to build rapport to actually start to say, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And you're not really understanding what the prospect is saying. So I think you know, having that natural awareness and actually being very comfortable in that conversation is really important because you know, there are times in the past where I've done discoveries where I've, I've really wanted to get that information, follow medic, and just actually, when the time comes, I'm not fully listening. Whereas now, you know, I'm really trying to be naturally curious, understand what the challenges are, understand how we could potentially solve those, think about the impact they're having, uh, and really trying to just have empathy as well, which I think is a really, really important part of the discovery. So it's really, really important to have that awareness and just naturally think about how best this conversation is going to move. And that requires a lot of listening, pauses, just making sure that you're fully aware of their challenges and then trying to articulate pain and a solution um, based on those. No, so it's a great point. It, it always takes me a little bit back to a, a story from being in primary school. And I, I remember my maths teacher at the time said to me once, Alex, you hear, but you don't listen. 
And this was when I was very young because it was exactly the case. I, I was looking in my teacher's face, hearing the words, but not ingesting the teaching as to why my grades at that time weren't the best for, for maths. But uh, I managed to pick that up a little bit later stage. So I, I almost feel now with, with age and time and tenure, that parapet has switched around. But to this day, that statement's always been in my mind. And, you know, you've of course come on on the pod here. And the question I'm always getting asked is, you know, people ask, what do I need to prepare for? What questions am I going to be asked? And you can vouch hopefully for what I always say. We're just having a conversation on camera. And the reason is, is because I'm curious. I want to hear your story. I want to understand how we can drive value for the listeners. And that's not going to happen if I come and just read out a tick list of 10 questions. So I'm having a conversation with you. And I think it really feeds into everything we're talking about, which is great. Let's fast forward a little bit here, Freddie, because now You've been an AE for a certain period of time. I'm curious to know, now you look ahead for your career, what do you see the next year, three years, five years looking like if you've already got that far in your mind? And what are the important steps that you feel you need to take today to ensure you set that future up for success? Yeah, so I, I would say that the key thing for me is to really try and learn my craft. Of course, it's a bit of a cliche, but I think with my company, we are doubling each year. You know, we're, we, we started off being 20, we're now around 80, we want to become 160 by the end of the year. So I really want to be a big part of that growth. I think and one of the reasons why, you know, talking about my background back at the beginning of the call or the beginning of the uh, podcast is that what defines me, I think I am a guy that wants to be different, wants to stand out. And with this category we're creating at Creative X, um, I'm really keen to be a big part of that. So the most important thing in my, in my one-year plan is to, to hit my number. And I think what's important there is to understand that, you know, there are so many things you could be doing in a day but if you're very focused on that, you you work for outcomes rather than hours, which is a big value that we have at CreativeX, it's really important to keep that in mind and keep working on a, on a week, month um, and quarter plan to try and get there. So I think this year it's about hitting the number and then moving on, I want to become better at enterprise sales. I think it requires a lot of different learnings that you can have. My company, as I said, it can take six months. I want to help the company move to a three-month sales cycle. So I think that's the key thing I'm looking at at the moment. In five years, I'm not too sure if I'm going to be completely honest. It'll be in sales. It'll be, I think, as an account executive, hopefully uh, a sales leader too. I think the idea of me managing is very exciting. But I think at the moment with where I'm going, I want to become an absolute expert and master in sales before I manage a team because I want to have that track record that in five years' time, if I'm managing a group of AEs, they know that Freddie Chetwood has done this, he's done he's done that. So I think that's where I'm looking. Um, but at the moment, you know, it's solely focused on hitting this number and helping the SDRs. So I'm still actually managing the SDRs at the moment. Wow. Um, so helping them hit their hit their number, working on getting pipeline for myself and hopefully um, honing in on my craft to... Uh, so yeah, I hit that number at the end of the year. You're a very busy man. Yeah. <laughs> Freddie's still managing the team and taking on that role. I, I think it says a, a ton about your character. I just want to spend a little bit of time on actually this pipeline generation piece. I think we'd be remiss. I'm passionate about it, always prided myself on, on being great with cold calling and things like that. You've clearly got a great proven track record for being successful at generating demand. So if I was observing Freddie for the day, what, what would I see in terms of the way your day is structured and actually some of the tactical things that you implement day to day to generate pipeline? Yeah. So the way the day is structured, I think, you know, Monday and Tuesday is all about really making sure that everything is there to execute. So 
we work on a three tier structure. I think I remember talking to you about that back last year about the three tiers. So tier one is our ICP, the ideal customer profile. And we've got similar case studies. They are companies that we really should be working with. Tier two is the ones that we think, you know, you operate multiple regions and markets, you have many brands, you know, you have a high media spend. We need to definitely be working very hard to secure you as a new business. And then you have the tier threes, which are ones that could definitely work with us, but we haven't got any um, similar case studies in place. So the SDRs um, and myself, we really work on that structure. So tier ones, the sort of L'Oreal's, the P&Gs of the world, they get a lot of um, sort of personalized on a one-on-one level communication from us. We are masters of email. I'm going to be completely honest. We have booked some incredible meetings over email and we think it's one of our skills. On the phone as well, we're trying to improve a lot. We've had some great success this year on the phone, booking a few meetings, but I want to become even better. And I think we're working and we actively understand and acknowledge that looking at our numbers and being aware of our numbers that we could become even better on the phone. So that's a big part of our process at the moment. And then the, t- the tier two, just to add to that, those are ones where you know, we find a lot of company information. So we find annual reports, their business goals, but those often are, are split into different personas. So if you think about a sequence structure, those will be often automated emails. But I do add company-specific news to those emails. I add, um, I make sure that every function or every persona, so we target insights, media, brand, and sort of general global marketers, each one of those get their own sequence dedicated to them. So I'm a big fan of relevance. You know, I don't really care if I can find out what your dog's called. You know, I think for me, it's about working out, you know, do we work with similar companies? What are their challenges? How we solve the challenges? And are we specifically talking to your exact persona and function? So that's a huge believer that I've had in this process, especially as we are defining a new category. We have a lot of accounts we want to go out to. So having that awareness to understand that sometimes it will take a lot of volume and that won't be all from me sending one-on-one crafty emails, but also understanding that for those tier ones, we have to be very precise with our communication. We don't want to sort of burn any bridges. And then with the tier threes, I think it's more about just making sure that scales out. And I can tell you that I've booked some amazing meetings with tier three accounts using automation. You know, I think you hear a lot on LinkedIn around people that are are very, very um, passionate about being one-on-one on a a daily basis. And sometimes, you know, you've got to just almost switch off from that and understand that, you know, your business model is very different to someone else's. I'm a big believer on leading with relevance. I think that's really, really important. If I were to send a, a very boring automated email that talked about Creative X's value and product features. I appreciate that's not the right way to do business. But with us, you know, we really work hard to make sure that we're solving challenges. We're, we're talking about how we work with specific functions and um, having that one tier one, tier two, tier three set up really helps the SDRs, you know, manage their time effectively. You know, we book meetings over voice notes. So for example, Campari, as I mentioned, came from a voice note. But overall, making sure that you are diversifying your touch points. Multi-touch is crucial. You know, we try and keep it really simple as well. You know, there are times where you can get inundated with tasks and suddenly you're thinking, God, I've got 40, 50 tasks to do. Um, So we try and keep that really simple, you know, LinkedIn, phone call, email and connecting those together. So I think it's called the keep it simple sequencing we use. I don't know if you've heard of that, which is all about trying to make sure that every touch point links nicely. So Another thing to add to that, actually, there's a lot of information coming out here, but I want to share it, is these automated sequences that we create that lead on relevance and sometimes have those personalized edits based on the, the persona or the company. We really track engagement as well. I know that engagement isn't the, the sole measure or the sole method of trying to understand who who you should um, try and engage with, but seeing that allows us to understand you know, who's opening an email. Then once we've got that information and we can find out, for example, what their role is, we go into LinkedIn, we find out their challenges or their their job title, 
We then move that into a personalized sequence where we use a keep it simple sequencing. So we have these different channels of communication that really allow us to, to maximize our time and hopefully get the best results we can. Feels like a, a paid consulting call at this rate, <laughs> the amount of uh, gems that are coming out. So extremely valuable, extremely valuable. A lot of what you said, I, I completely agree with. There's a big uh, debate, as you highlighted, volume versus personalization is a big thing. And, and now there's also a lot of talk about work rate and burnout. And there's probably a hundred more topics we might have to leverage for a part two on this. Um, but many of your school of thought on this, I, I'm actually aligned with in, in many regards. I just have a couple of things left for you, really, uh, Freddie. One of those is just on that topic of burnout. I sense and I feel, I wish I could translate your energy out into the radio waves, but you know, you have an intensity and a, a real desire that I can feel from you. And I felt from the first time I met you and, and again now, a real passion. Some people may argue or, or, or question how sustainable is the work rate that you have? How sustainable is it for you to continue to go on for 5, 10, 20 years at the pace that you're running this marathon? So I'd like to ask you your own thoughts on that when you think about your energy, the way that you balance yourself and balance your day. Do you just run at life like a train or is there something more to it that maybe we're not familiar with? I think you need to protect your energy. So, you know, my brother always preaches this to me. We live together and I think it's really, really important to make sure that, you know, you are protecting your energy, you're sleeping well. But for me, I care a lot. You know, I really care about trying to deliver the right results. And if I'm not having a good day, not, not having a productive day, that affects my sleep. And that means the next day I'm not quite as good as I am. So, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to be very passionate about sales. I'm lucky enough to have this sort of intrinsic desire to become better at what I do. You know, I've read books at the 5am club that help get to that position where I really want to have that drive where, you know, if I look back in 10 years time, I'm not going to be disappointed with, with where I could have been. So that's a really important part of how I, how I do business and how I work in sales. But with burnout, burnout is very much linked to the outcome, the output of your work. So I find that if you're very much stressing and having that pressure around booking meetings or, you know, hitting your pipeline goals if you're an AE or closing deals, sorry, if you're an AE, that can really have a negative impact on, on how you operate. So again, being regimented, knowing your number is really important, knowing the impact. I know you talk about this a lot, knowing, for example, I need to make 50 calls today, I need to send 100 emails. And just living by that and not worrying about the output too much is really important to avoid burnout. I'm very confident I'm going to keep going for many years to come based on this this principle of making sure that you know I'm structuring my day right I'm sleeping well because I'm not too concerned about a bad day because I'm trying to work to have a great day and just making sure as well that I'm always in control of that input and not thinking too much about the output it's great advice Freddie, I've got one last question sure. for you. Seeing as this is absolutely the elite level podcast, in your words, Freddie, what is it? What's that one piece of actionable advice that you would give to someone who wants to go from where they are right now in their career to elite? I think encourage constructive dissent. I think it's so important to have that awareness to really provide as much feedback as you can. And I think what's really crucial is that any SDR, any AE, Get feedback from your peers and learn from that. And also, I want to add one more thing to Alex, and I'm not allowed to, but find an external mentor as well. It's really, really important. It's helped me a lot. 
This has been phenomenal. I hope you've enjoyed it as well, Freddie. And I hope the listeners, this has been jam-packed with value. So thank you so much for tuning in on this week's episode. Again, if you're watching this on YouTube, please be sure to smash that like button, comment, share, and subscribe. And if you're listening on any of the podcasting platforms, I'd appreciate a five-star review. We'll leave in the notes Freddie's contact details if you need to get in touch. Until then, we'll see you on the next one.